Welcome to a talk from St Saviour's Sunbury. We hope that it blesses you. So if you don't know me already, my name is Rix and I'm one of the team here at St Saviour's. And today, there's a bit of echo, should I go over here? And today, we're going to be looking at the book of Nehemiah. Awesome. So before I start, I just want to let you know that I'm really happy. I am. I'm happy. This face might not look happy, but I am happy. Yes, I've had three wisdom teeth out last Sunday, so I probably won't smile much. And if I do, it might look like this. <laughs> so if I make that face, that's my happy face today. Okay, cool. Um, I'm grateful to my prayer warriors, who I thought might be sitting up here, but they're over there doing crafts. Thank you, children. My three children are here today. They've been praying for me all week. They're so beautiful. They'll come over and they'll lay hands on me. It's, it's, you know, it's amazing. High five, kids. What can we learn about Nehemiah? Right, so above all, Nehemiah was an example of a great leader. We have much to learn and little time, so I'm going to focus on his leadership and less on the actual building of the wall for which he's famous for. But before we do, let me ask you all a quick question. Do you see yourselves as a leader? Do you see yourself as a leader? That's my question. If you see yourself as a leader, she's already there, can I ask you to put your hand up? Okay, interesting. Okay, so the reason I asked that question is about eight years ago, I was having a conversation with my beautiful wife, and we were preparing for a life group. She hates it when I call her beautiful in front of loads of people, but you know what? Get used to it, love. It's always going to happen. <laughs> and I was reading from First Timothy and looking at the qualities of a good leader. And so we were looking through the biblical principles of biblical leadership, and then suddenly my wife said, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not even a leader. And it knocked me sideways a bit. There are people out there, people in here even, that don't consider themselves as leaders. That's crazy. There are Christians that don't think that they're leaders. That's crazy. I think that's crazy. Christians, you're crazy. We often think of leaders as CEOs, managers, pastors, teachers, governors, MPs, whatever. But I say, even if you're not one of those, actually we're all called to lead in one way or another. There's a guy called John Maxwell, and he's one of the world's top leadership speakers, and he sums it down to this. He's written loads of books, and he sums it down to this. Leadership is influence. Can you say that with me? Leadership is influence. There are so many of his quotes available, and one of my favorites for years has been this one. Leadership is not about titles, positions, or flowcharts. It's about one life influencing another. So listen, hear my words. Before we even get to Nehemiah, I want to give you a revelation. This one you get for free, right? You ready? Here it comes. It's coming. You're a leader. You're a leader. And if you don't believe me, yes, we're looking at the Old Testament today, but I'm going to just jump into New Testament a little bit. Check this out. Matthew 5.14. If we turn, actually don't turn, I've got it here, it'll save time. Jesus' words, he says this, You are the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. 
Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What we choose to say to others, how we choose to behave, we are called to lead them. How? Through shining brightly so that when people pay attention to our lives and are touched by our genuine love for them, we point to God and his glory. When they see us shining his light, we then point to God and point to his glory. As Christians, we preach the gospel to lead people to him. We baptize and disciple others to lead them to reconnect with him. He calls us to leadership all the time. So lead people to Jesus and he'll take care of the rest. So let me ask you again, despite how you might feel, are you a leader? Yes. That's a bit like a yes, yes, okay. I'm going to pray real quick. Father, I pray for a deep sense of revelation in this room, that each of us develops our God-given call to leadership, that we sense those leadership moments and we receive the call to leadership right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so now we've got that cleared up. Let's see what Nehemiah can teach us about leadership. So, I think we've got slides. Awesome, look at that. If you're a note taker, you're going to love this because I've got slides. I've got titles. I've got headings. I've got bullet points. It's a note taker's dream. All right, so number one, Nehemiah placed value on prayer. As soon as the book opens, Nehemiah finds out that the Jewish remnants back in Israel are in great trouble and face disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And Nehemiah's response is this. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So straight away, right at the beginning of the book, we see the importance he places on prayer. He turns to God and passionately prays. Chapter 1, verse 4, he says this. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. He goes on with this powerful prayer. And he's not just asking God for stuff, but he's also declaring and praising the goodness of God, knowing that God inhabits the praises of his people. Throughout the book, Nehemiah prays. He doesn't pray once. He doesn't pray at set intervals. He prays continuously. It's part of his everyday living. So we see that Nehemiah valued the power of prayer. Let me ask you, do we value the power of prayer? Do we? Is it the first thing we do when we wake up? When we face a challenge? When our hearts are broken? Or do we think our way out of it? Maybe we wallow selfishly, self, selfishly in our pain. Something to think about, though, because I know I do that. When I'm in pain, it, prayer normally isn't the first thing. First, I start feeling sorry for myself, and then eventually I turn to God. You know, us as a body, as a church, do we pray for this place? Is it the first thing that we do when we get here? Do we pray out of obligation, or do we pray out of passion? 
You know, we have a prayer area over here and a prayer ministry where some of our team are passionate about praying with you, for you. Don't neglect it. Use them. It's okay. It's what they're there for. And I guess my heart is that the world, it's a tough place out there. Don't get crushed out there in the world, in your workplace, in your school, whatever you get up to out there. Don't get crushed. And if you are getting crushed out there and you come into this place and you pretend like everything's okay, you don't need to do that. We've got an area. We've got people. We've got brothers and sisters who would stand with you in prayer. Prayer is important. Nehemiah valued prayer. Let's value prayer. Point number two. I always wanted to do that. That was good. Ooh, I smiled. That's awesome. Nehemiah was a man of integrity. At this point, Nehemiah was cup to the king of Persia. This position alone tells us a little bit about Nehemiah's character. You see, to do a job like that, you would need to be trustworthy, you would need to be reliable, and you would often be in the company of the king. Nehemiah would literally taste his drink and food for him, so the king not only had to trust Nehemiah, but he had to trust Nehemiah with his life. Although I expect it was a stressful job, you could be poisoned at least three times a day, or whenever the king was hungry or thirsty. It also was a position of extreme importance and one of great influence. To hold it, you'd need to be a person of integrity. Question. I've got a lot of questions tonight. I'm looking at my wife because she's like, yeah, he's got a lot of questions in life, generally. (laughs) Are you a person of integrity? Can you be trusted? I'm not saying you can't. It's a question. Don't put your hands up. If not, are you working on it? Brimble, put your hand down. (laughs) Place yourself in Nehemiah's shoes. If someone offered you a million pounds to look the other way, not a million pounds to poison the king, but just to look the other way, while they tampered with the king's drink. I'm pretty sure, you know, none of you would do that. But would you think it for a moment? Would you start thinking about using the money to pay off your mortgage, your student loan, a luxury holiday, whatever? Are we people of integrity? Later in the book, around chapter 5, there is an outcry by some of the people, and Nehemiah steps in and he rebukes them. He confronts them, and he even takes on priests. Please don't take on Ron, he's all right. He wasn't too scared to rebuke and point out where people were not living in the ways God had commanded, even if those people held positions of authority. You see, integrity means the quality of being honest and having strong principles. Church, are we bold enough to hire, to hire, hold on, I don't know if you guys are squeamish, but I can feel the stitches at the side. It's a weird sensation that we don't... Are you squeamish? She's going to faint? Okay. (laughs) All right, let's get serious. Church, are we bold enough to hold high morals and rebuke our brothers and sisters when they stray away from God's commandments? I mean, let's be a little bit careful not to go too far on that one because we're New Testament Christians. We live with a culture of love and empowerment, not judgment and condemnation. So that's not what I'm saying. But the question is, are we willing to hold each other to account? 
Or do we turn a blind eye and let people fall into sin? Nehemiah in chapter 5, verse 9 says, The thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God? Can we be that bold with each other? I hope so. On the other side of the fence, are we thick-skinned enough to receive criticism? We live in a time, I'm going to try not to go off on a rant here, we live in a time where everybody gets offended over everything. Everywhere you look, offended hearts. People getting offended over comments, over movies, over emails, over Facebook posts, over not being invited to something. Kind of drives me a little bit nuts, right? Are we, God's people, supposed to live like that? Like the world's culture? Or are we supposed to live a kingdom culture? Strong hearts that are not going to be taken down by lies, but open enough to listen to the truth when our brothers and sisters bring issues to us. Let's be salt and light people, people who can give criticism, take criticism, and are people who are trustworthy and accountable. Let's be people who build our lives on a solid foundation with an identity in Christ that is unshakable. Sorry, it bugs me a little bit, the whole... I don't want to say snowflake. gets a bit political. We're trying to raise a family um, where our kids develop an unoffendable heart. So I, and I'm no expert at this. Like, I get it wrong too. It's just an aspiration that we want to, want to get to. Unoffendable. Anyway, Nehemiah was a man of integrity. Let's learn from that. Let's, let's take a step in that direction. Number three. Nehemiah used his position to build God's kingdom. You see, Nehemiah wasn't a priest, and he wasn't even a man in ministry. He was a worker, yet he influenced others. And he was also operational. He got the job done. Do we have any operational type people in this room? Nisha. Do you get things done? I think Nisha is the... I think... I'm going to come over here. I think Nisha is the best operations manager this church has ever had. Who's with me? Amazing. She's amazing. She's amazing. She's the only operations manager this church has ever had. But she's good. She's my sister. I'm allowed to dig a a little bit, I think. Anyway, the point was that Nehemiah wasn't someone in ministry, yet he still took ownership and used his position to build God's kingdom. And through that, we learn that full-time ministry, inverted commas, is not required. Listen, we've got church, I'm not talking to church staff. I'm talking to people who are not on the church staff. Full-time ministry is not required. Listen, we don't need to be pastors and full-time ministers to build the church. We are children of God, and he invites us to get involved. We are his church, his hands and feet on this earth. And if you haven't already... As I look around the room, I know a lot of people are, in, are, are involved in this church, and that's awesome. But if you haven't already, get on board. We need you. God needs your unique skills. He placed them in you. Don't be scared. Something else we learn from Nehemiah is if God calls us, he equips us. That sounds like a good thing to repeat. Should we repeat that? If God calls us, he equips us. One more time. If God calls us, he equips us. You don't need to be a minister. Nehemiah wasn't. God's door is open.
Nehemiah would spend much time with the king and other influential leaders. See, God puts us in positions for a reason, not just to open and close doors. You know that thing we do as Christians? Oh, God's going to open a door and he's going to close a door. But he puts us in positions to learn things. I'm sure Nehemiah observed and learnt great lessons by being around influential people. Lessons he would use later on in life. So don't ever neglect the position or the job that God has placed you in. We can all learn something from where we, wherever we are, even if that lesson is how not to do something. Usually with God, once we learn whatever the lesson is that he's trying to teach us, he'll move us on to the next thing. So if you're in a season right now, I encourage you, hang in there. Seek the lesson. Learn the lesson. In later chapters, Nehemiah uses his position, along with Ezra, to point people back to God, to his laws and his commandments. So I've got a takeaway point for you. Where are you positioned right now in your life? And how can you use that to build God's kingdom? Have a think about that with him. Point number four. I had 15 points, by the way. I squashed them down to four, okay? So you're all right, you're all right. (laughs) Point number four. Here it comes. Nehemiah was a man of influence, and he had a spirit of excellence. He had enough influence to gain favor with the king. And through that one relationship we see in chapter two, the king provides Nehemiah with armed guards, letters to governors that allowed Nehemiah to travel through their provinces, He was even supplied with timber to make gates for the wall. All this asked for by a cupbearer. That's influence right there. That's leadership. He was also able to take stock of the reality of the situation around him. And by doing so, by addressing the elephants in the room, he had influence with people around him. He was the real deal. He listened to the voice of the people, but wasn't scared of standing up for the things of God. Because he was arrogant? No, because he had a spirit of excellence for God's kingdom. A spirit of excellence. I love that, I love that expression. You know, the modern church, we get a lot of slack for a lot of things. I'm trying to think of some stuff. So one of the things that we get, we get a bit of slack for is uh, being a graphic designer, is having glossy printed leaflets or having nice things put up in our church. And my response to that kind of criticism is, what was it, thou shall not swear? Uh, Um, But my response is, rubbish. I want to see God's house kept nice, personally. I want to see clean floors. I want to see a nicely presented stage. I want to see nice handouts, maybe that you can read from the back. Uh, Clearly communicated information, well-kept gardens, clean toys for our kids, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Why? To honor God's house. We are a city on a hill called to shine and bring glory to God, not collect dust and fade into nothingness. I mean, yes, I know there's two, two treasurers in the room, so within financial reason, of course, our goal is to reach people, not, will, not win design building awards or anything like that. I get it. But there can be a level of excellence that we can aspire to. I'm reminded of the black gospel churches whose congregation come to church in their Sunday best. 
Men and boys wearing suits and ladies wearing their best outfits to bring honor to God. That's an example of a spirit of excellence right there. You may disagree, but I love the heart behind it. Hence the suit and the tie today. (laughs) Do we have a spirit of excellence? Not just with things, but with relationships. Do we have a spirit of excellence when it comes to the way we relate to people? Why not? We're Christians, right? We're in the people business, right? That's what we do. A spirit of excellence in all we do, in our work, in our business relationships, in our studies. Nehemiah was influential. He was a team player. We see that in his language. He used terms like we and us, not me and I, which rhymes with me and I. I'm just catching that. He had a sense of ownership. In chapter 5, verse 14 onwards, we see Nehemiah's team spirit. He refuses to accept the food allowance because he didn't want to live comfortably while his people were in need. His heart was for God's people. He identified with them. And I think this was one of his greatest strengths. He saw himself as one of them. He was able to unite enough people and strategically place them in positions of strength. This included the people building the wall, the people guarding the people building the wall, ready to defend any attacks, and also working in unison with Ezra, who would preach God's laws and commandments. He was highly influential. And I got this other John Maxwell quote, love this. The measure of a leader is not the number of people who serve him or her, but the number of people he or she serves. The measure of a leader is not the number of people they serve, but the number of people that the leader serves. How many people do you serve? There's my question. How can you grow in that area? Are you influential? Do people listen? Can you handle criticism or do you crumble? Are you bold enough to be decisive and make a stand for the things of God? Are you humble enough to serve others' needs before your own? told you I ask a lot of questions. Let's choose to be a, pers- a, a person of influence. Jesus shows us that the greatest leaders are the greatest servants. And his whole life on earth was an incredible example of this. There is so much more to learn from the book of Nehemiah. And I feel we've only really scratched the surface. But for the sake of time, I'm going to leave it there in terms of detail and start looking at the bigger picture. I think it's important to say that Nehemiah does get the wall built, and he does it amazingly in 52 days. Along the way, him and his team are ridiculed, opposed in chapter 4. They have a conspiracy set against them in chapter 6. They have to deal with people's ungrateful hearts throughout. But him and his team gets the wall finished. He gets the job done. In chapter 8, Ezra reads the law, and there's a huge celebration. Is my smiley face coming out? (laughs) Huge celebration. Chapter 9, people confess their sins and they repent. And in chapter 12, there's a wall dedication. People are thankful. Things are good. But Nehemiah, Nehemiah goes back to Persia. He hangs there for a bit. And then he revisits Jerusalem a little time later expecting great things. 
Nah, they messed it all up. The Levites became impure. People broke God's commandments. People were setting up marketplaces along the walls. Things were bad when he returned. And Nehemiah, he got so angry, he confronted the people. He got, like, super violent. He beat people up. He started pulling out their hair. Maybe those lessons we don't take away from Nehemiah. Maybe those things we don't try and be like him. Like, just don't. But the point being, he was devastated. And actually, the book ends on that anticlimax, much like the book of Ezra. He goes through this whole process, and despite being a great leader, despite building that wall in 52 days, despite working alongside Ezra and calling people to redemption, when he gets back, many people continue to be disobedient to God. Nehemiah gave it his all. He did what he felt called to do, but people still disobeyed God and lived outside of his ways. So, what is the biblical value of this book? It reinforces the pattern of humanity. Number one, God gives us the choice to choose life, i.e. him. John 10.10, Jesus says, I come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. He gives us the choice to choose him. Two, the second pattern, second part of the pattern. Humans are disobedient by nature. All of you. Amy. Our hearts are corrupted. They're corrupted hearts after the fall in Genesis. We keep turning away from God. And number three, the same conclusion that we can get from the book of Nehemiah as most Bible books in the Old Testament No matter what we try to achieve on the outside, the real issue is that humanity needs a heart transformation. We see that in the story of Cain and Abel in Cain's heart, in the story of Joseph and his brothers and their corrupted hearts towards him, of the Exodus when God saves millions from slaughter by parting the Red Sea, yet they still doubt God and his commandments. In David and Goliath, King Solomon's lustful ways, the list goes on. The question is, how do we transform our hearts? Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. The work of Jesus on the cross is the gateway to a transformed heart. If you're looking for that transformation today, you come to the right place. Maybe you've never made a decision to let Jesus into your heart, or maybe you did once but you walked away for a good reason. Maybe you were offended. Maybe something happened. Friend, I invite you today, open up your heart and receive his love. Tonight we saw that leadership is influence, and if you allow the greatest leader, Jesus Christ, to have influence in your life, you will find fulfillment beyond your wildest dreams. Trust this face. As I hand over to Pastor Ron, you're in good hands. He's going to lead us in a prayer that if you're bold enough, will change your life moving forward. That was the book of Nehemiah. For more information about St. Saviour's, please visit our website at www.stsaviorsunbury.org.uk.